0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Corinthians, which I've also subtitled, Second Wind, where Paul writes to us as believers and, and the things that he writes to us in this letter I think God wants us to use it in our life in order to get a renewed energy to be able to continue on with the responsibilities and callings upon our life that God has given to us. And so tonight what I'd like to do before I sort of dive in and dissect this a little bit, to get the flow of this passage, I'd like to just read the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and obviously I'd like you to follow along in your Bible, and As you read this, one of the things we're going to see is this, that Paul here is giving sort of a personal testimony of all that he and the other apostles have been through. And he's not doing this to brag or boast. He's doing this to remind us and to encourage us that if if God brought them through all these things, if, if God was with them in all these things and help them, through. then the same God that did it for them can do it for us. And so remember that as you go through this passage. And obviously one of the things you're going to see is there's going to be a section where Paul says, God was with us in all these things. And it reminds us that God doesn't necessarily take us out from adversity in life. He doesn't always Uh, allow us to escape adversity. In fact, many times it is through adversity that our greatest growth happens, even as Christians. But in all of that, Paul says, God was more than enough for me, and and I was able to to deal with all the stuff that, that I had to deal with. Then there's a section where he tells us nine things, nine what I call sort of resources or, or nine uh, spiritual rumble strips, if you will, to keep us on track, to keep us from swerving from our purpose. And he tells us, here's how we do that. And then he ends this section by telling us all the things that he, God has brought him through. Because again, many times God doesn't take us around something, God takes us through something. It is the way of, of, of discovering more about God and more about ourselves. And, and what God wants to do in all of our lives sometimes is get us to that point where we realize that the place we are in in life is more than us. It's more than we can deal with, but it's not more than God can deal with. It's not above God. And so hopefully tonight we will all be encouraged. So Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Now because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He, God says, I heard you at the acceptable time and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We do not give anyone an occasion for taking an offense in anything. So that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as God's servants, we have commended ourselves in every way with great endurance. Endurance in persecutions, in difficulties, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in troubles, in sleepless nights, in hunger. And here's how we did it. We did it by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by benevolence. By the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful teaching, by the power of God with weapons of righteousness, both for the right hand and for the left. And then he shares with us the paradoxes of life and ministry. Through glory and dishonor, through slander and praise, regarded as imposters and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known as dying and yet see we continue to live, as those who are scourged and yet not executed, as sorrowful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Here's the testimony of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and to us tonight. And Tonight, I think this is just a great passage that reminds us of all the resources, all the helps, all the things that God gives us in order to not swerve from the purpose that God has called us to. Because in the midst of all of this, the key about all of this is when Paul says in verse 4, great endurance. It's all about endurance in this book. It's all about getting that second wind. And Paul here is saying, even being an apostle of Jesus Christ who laid my life on the line, there were many times where I had to deal with things. And I was in the midst of it. And yet God brought me through. And I went through all of these different things. Sometimes I was loved. Sometimes I was hated. He reminds us of the fickleness of people. That even the same people one week can love us, the next week can't stand the sight of us. And Paul was saying that you and I, in order to endure life and ministry and service for the Lord, we need to build up our endurance and we need to make sure that we understand that we have all these resources around us. It's sort of like, you know, buying a car. Whether it's a new car or used car, it's it's new to us. And, and many times, until we start to drive it, until we start to experiment with it, we, we don't even realize all the gadgets and all the, the stuff that's come on that car. Can I, can I just say that that's, that's very parallel to the Christian life? When a person accepts Christ as their personal Savior, they, they know their sins are forgiven, they know they're on their way to heaven, but they haven't yet discovered all sort of the bells and whistles that, that are with them as a Christian. And part of why we encourage Christians to spiritually grow and come to a deeper understanding of the Bible is because it is through the knowledge of the Bible that we begin to understand all the things that come standard when you and I accept Christ as our Savior. They're not extras. We don't have to get to a point in our Christian life where sometime later down the road we had to pay for something. It all comes, it's just we didn't realize it when we first received it. And now that as we're walking through life and we're meeting these challenges head on, it's good to know that we have all these things. And this is part of why Paul shares 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So back up to verse 1. I think one of the first things he shares, and it's not even part of the the section of 9 in the middle of this passage, is that he tells us, look, I didn't do this by myself. And none of us are called to do this by ourselves. He says, we are fellow workers. I love this word in the original language. It is a word or words that means putting our power together. And that's what the body of Christ is to be. That's what Christian friendships are to be. That's what Christian partnerships and helpers are to be. That as we come together, we sort of pull our resources and pull our power together. And and we come uh, complementing each other and we come bringing all of our spiritual gifts and our unique abilities that God has blessed us with and given us. And as we pull our power together, that hopefully will mutually encourage all of us. That's why spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. That's why Christian growth of any kind doesn't take place in a vacuum because God has called us to be part of His body. And the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. All of us are valuable to the body. All of us are important. All of us have a role to play. And we are called to be God's fellow workers. Hopefully at this place in your life right now. You're not trying to do this all alone. Because if you are, you're probably going to be very discouraged very quickly. Or you already are discouraged. But if you've got a group of people around you If you're doing this with others and you're getting together consistently, then you're putting yourself in a great place because this is what Paul says. He starts out by talking about fellow workers and then he says, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's saying here that God will give us the grace that we need to deal with whatever we need to deal with in life. And the word grace simply can be defined as God's divine enablement. That God gives us grace. That is why we, Paul said, by the grace of God I am what I am. That's why we sing here at Cornerstone every once in a while the the song, Your grace is enough. Because it is truly the divine enablement that doesn't come from inside us, but in a sense comes from almighty God That can again help us to keep on going and facing the challenges of life and continuing to endure The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews and other places that we can reject the grace of God We can push it away and when we do that we can become bitter But if we receive the grace of God, God's grace, the Bible says, is sufficient. In fact, later on in this very book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that about his own personal experience again. He said, I had a thorn in the flesh... I asked God three times to take this thorn in the flesh away and God said, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. It is spiritually beneficial for you to keep that thorn, but I will give you my grace and in my grace, you will have everything you need to, in a sense, carry this thorn in your flesh for the rest of your life because my grace is greater than that thorn. You and I have to remind ourselves of that. We are to have God's fellow workers around us and we are to be receiving the grace of God. And this ties in then to the next part. Because I think in verse 2, the end of verse 1 and verse 2 obviously flow together in the context and they are together because I think verse 2 is talking to us about the power of prayer. He's quoting here from the Old Testament. It was a passage in the Old Testament where the Jewish people were in exile. And they were crying out to God to, for God to intervene and to, 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 to release them and, and send them back to their home. And that's when God said, I heard you and I helped you. And obviously the implication is that they were crying out to God in prayer. The Bible also links grace with prayer. In fact, in Hebrews 4.16 The writer of Hebrews says, let's approach the throne of grace. That's how God's throne is characterized to the Christian. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not to be a throne that we fear. It's not to be a throne that we stay away from. It's to be a place where we find help and grace when we need it. Hebrews 4.16. And the Bible also says in 1 Peter... I believe it's chapter 5, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there's nothing more humbling than when we pray. Because prayer is an example that, I need you, God. It's a total opposite of self-sufficiency. When we are prayerless, when we are not praying, we are basically saying to God, God, I don't need you. I can handle life and I can handle these things on my own. But when we are driven to prayer, we are telling God and we are reminding ourselves and we are telling everybody, I can't do this on my own. I need you, God. And it is in those times that God pours out His grace because we are willing not to go through life trying to deal with things on our own, in our own power and strength, but we finally have learned a secret to depend upon God. And to be able to gain all the strength and grace that we need to meet every challenge that we have. So be encouraged tonight as you go home tonight. Remember these couple of words out of 2 Corinthians 6-2 that are quoted also from the Old Testament. God says, I heard you and I helped you. And the same God that said that to the Jewish people thousands of years ago is saying that to us tonight. Humble yourselves and ask me for help. I will hear you and I will help you. So, even before Paul gets to these nine resources later on, he's already shared three of them with us. That that we should not be going through life on our own, that we should be part of a team, a group of partners who are Christians pulling our power together and doing this together rather than out there by ourselves that we remind ourselves that God's grace is sufficient and His grace is being dispensed to us every day in the measure that we need and that we always have the privilege of prayer. And let's not remember, or forget, excuse me, that that is a blood-bought privilege. The reason you and I can pray is because Jesus Christ shed His blood and Paul says in the book of Romans, that's why we have access to God. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is a blood-bought privilege. So we ought to take advantage of that privilege, if you will, in the right way and pray. And I just want to encourage you folks to to make that something that your fellow workers do with you. That when you get together as believers who are trying to mutually encourage one another, one of the best things we can do as Christians for one another is to pray for one another and to pray with one another. Some of the most powerful moments in my life with God have been moments where I've been in a room, even whether it's a living room or somewhere where there's just a small group of believers and we are praying together for one another and with one another. This is what Paul says. Because notice Paul begins in verse 3 and 4 to say, look, we've got to do this right. We as servants of the Lord who are called by God to make God known to others, we need to make sure that we are doing it right. But he says one thing that's going to set us apart at the end of verse 4, is our great endurance. And the reason why is because as other people watch us navigate life, if this isn't real, if this, if, if this Jesus is just a fad, if He's just something we've added to all of our other gods, if, 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 if our Christian commitment isn't strong, Then when times get tough, we give up and we back off and we don't keep going because somehow we conclude because of that endurance not being built into our life that somehow God's done us wrong because we're trying to live for God and somehow life isn't just falling out the way I want it to. And folks, God never promised that. He, he wants to build in our life such a strong faith that whether things are going well or they're not going well, we continue to rise to the occasion and live for God regardless of the circumstances. Because a faith that is only strong when things are going well is a weak faith. And God wants to build into our life such a strong faith that we can endure no matter what life brings. And that's what sets us apart. That's where others will begin to see, wow, they're not not giving up their faith just because things are tough. They're not turning their back on God just when things are going south in their life. They are continuing to take one step forward even in the midst of all the winds of adversity that are blowing against them. They have great endurance. And that's that's what separates it. And so notice the great endurance that was needed in Paul's life and sometimes in ours. Paul says the reason we needed great endurance is because of persecutions. Again, I think I've shared this before. The word persecution just means extreme pressure. Sometimes that's the way life is, isn't it? Our life is under extreme pressure. We're, we're like in a vice. that just continues to get tightened and tightened and tightened. And sometimes we think we're going to crack or break under that pressure. But as I've shared before, the pressure that we go through... God never intends for it to crack us, to discourage us or to destroy us, but actually to purify us and to make us stronger. Notice he also says in difficulties. The word simply also can mean hardships. Many of us in this room have went through hardships, difficulties this past year. In distresses. This is an interesting picture. It literally means a narrowing. It's like, it's like going through a path and, and the walls are closing in. Think about that. That's what the word distress means. I feel like I'm in a place in life where, where life is closing in on me. Paul said, yeah, we've, we've felt that. We've been there. But we continued to endure even in it. In beatings, he says, verse 5. Literally, public woundings. In imprisonments or captivity. In riots. Just meaning instability and disorder. In troubles. This word literally means to be beaten down. In sleepless nights. And hungry. Wow. And yet Paul said, we endured it. Not because... We were strong, but because we had learned to gather the resources that God has given us and to lean hard upon God and to depend upon God and allow God to build into us a strength and an inner endurance and to give us a second wind that we would need when these things hit. Paul's personal testimony is certainly uh, an argument Against those who believe that if you are truly dedicated to God, you'll never have any hard times. When people, when I talk to people who feel that way, I thought, read 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 6 and pick it up there in verse 6 in just a moment. But I want you to now take your eyes and go over to verse 16, about halfway through the verse where another verse is quoted from the Old Testament. And here's one of the reasons why Paul had this great endurance in all that he went through. And why Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage us that whatever you and I are in right now, our God is great enough and big enough to help us to deal with whatever we're in right now. And here's another reminder of that over in verse 16. God said, I will live in them. If you're here tonight and you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then we need to be reminded that the God of the universe, through the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in us. That's huge. So we never don't have God with us. He's with us through and in everything. And then I love this. And I will walk among them. Now as I studied this, and of course this was taken from the Old Testament, so I had to look at the Hebrew, not the Greek. It literally means, I will step in it. In other words, in all the messes that Paul's just talked about, whether they were beatings, difficulties, persecutions, distresses, riots, troubles, whatever, that God is not too aloof To get in there and step in it with us in all the muck and mire. And be there with us in the midst of whatever we're dealing with. He's not that kind of God. He's a God who's willing to walk amongst us and step into whatever we're dealing with. And help us in anything. There is nothing too messy. There's nothing too muddy. There's nothing too yucky for God to say, oh I'm not stepping into that. No, just the opposite. In fact, one of the great biblical illustrations of this is in the book of Daniel when the three friends of Daniel refru- refused to bow to the idol and Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and says, uh, I see somebody else that looks like the Son of God walking around in that fiery furnace with those three guys. See, God doesn't necessarily keep us from the fire, but He always promises to walk with us in the fire. I will walk amongst them. I will step into it. And let's deal with it. Let's just, let's just get it out there and let's deal with it. God is willing to do that. We talked about that great exchange last week. The word reconciliation where we can take our brokenness and our anxiety and all of these different things and we can exchange them out for something that God has for us much better than what we're carrying. And one of the reasons why we can do that is because God steps in it with us. And then notice also, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And when God says, I will be their God, that is a way of saying, I will be and want to be there all in all. That that, that he wants his people to get to the point where whatever we need, we know where to find it. Whatever it is, in every situation, no matter whether it's beatings, imprisonments, distress, troubles, without sleep, hungry, all of those things, it doesn't matter. God is our all in all. And we just need to to learn to use Him and go to Him and cry out to Him. Many times throughout life, we come to places in our life where we realize that God is all we have and we are reminded that God is all we need. And that's what God's saying here. I am your all in all. I want my people to understand I am your all in all. Put that on the sticky side of your brain tonight. Take it home with you. I am. God, want to be everything to you. Well, notice then back in verse 6. Here are the nine resources that Paul gives in this passage of Scripture that are sort of the spiritual rumble strips that keep us from swerving from our purpose. Because up in verse 4, that's what the words great endurance really mean. Keep me on track. Keep me from swerving from my purpose. God has put a a calling on our lives. God has given us a purpose. God is is asking us to do something. And, And sometimes in the midst of what we're going through or what we're going through, we get distracted or we veer off course. And in order to stay on course and keep from swerving, Paul says, here's what God gives us. First of all, we can do this, verse 6, by purity. Now many people, every time they think or see the word purity in the Bible, they automatically think of moral purity, and there's nothing wrong with that. But many times in the Bible, in the context, it's not talking about moral purity as much as it's talking about undiluted. That when something's pure, there's, it's, it's not diluted in any way. And that's more the angle that Paul is saying here. The, the, how you and I can stay on track is when we don't have one foot in the world where we're trying to navigate being like the world and one foot with God. Where, where we're trying to sit the fence. Where we're, you know, 50% Committed. No, Paul says one of the resources that God wants to build into our life and give us is that, that concept of purity, that concept of undiluted commitment and dedication to God. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Putting God above everyone and everything else in my life. And when you and I have that kind of that singleness of mind, that purity of mind, like Paul said to the Philippians, Forgetting those things that are behind Philippians three fourteen and 15. This one thing I do, Paul says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was not going to be swerved from his purpose and the reason he could be was because he had a purity of mind, a singleness of mind that he was centered on, that he was focused on, and he wasn't diluted. The next, by knowledge... By a growing understanding of God, of His Word, of His will, and of His way. Hopefully that's one of the reasons why you're here tonight. That that each week, hopefully you leave here with some kind of maybe growing understanding of the Word of God. That helps us with our endurance. By patience, the word simply means perseverance. By benevolence, by goodness and kindness we get a second wind. By the Holy Spirit, the ultimate helper, the one who lives inside of us. By genuine love. Sincere. Not put on. Paul ran into many people who faked love. You can fake love? Yeah. The Bible talks much about an insincere love, where it's outwardly what we think we should be and how we should act to others, but it's not really genuine. As you go below the surface, it's more about me than it is the other person. And what really will give us endurance And a second wind is when we allow the love of Christ to so overflow in our lives that truly we love each other purely and genuinely and sincerely. And it's not just fake. It's not put on. It's real. Because, folks, that's what people are looking for. That's what we're all looking for. We're looking for real love. We've been burned by lack of love. We've been burned by insincere love. We've been burned by... Love that was all talk and no action. We're looking for the real deal. And God calls us as His people to that by truthful teaching. That's my favorite, by the way. That's huge. I mean, to me, that's, just say the Bible. The Word of Truth. Truthful teaching. We need it. We, we live in a world and a culture where the Bible has either become irrelevant or secondary in importance. And folks, one of the things that God has laid on my heart is that I always want to, to, to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and hold up to people the Bible and, and, and encourage people to make this book the very center of their lives and existence. Folks, this this book here is the Word of God and it gives us everything we need to be able to endure. But it's got to be truth. By the power of God, the strength and the ability that God gives with weapons of righteousness. Instruments, tools, armor. And I love this, both for the right hand and for the left meaning that God wants us to live a balanced life. We can't put all of our defenses on this side and be exposed on this side. That as we seek to grow, as we seek to use these resources and tap into these resources, so in order that anything that we find ourselves in, we know that God can get us through because all of these things can operate in every Christian's life God wants us to make sure we have them on both sides. That in a sense, we are fully covered and there's no exposure for the enemy to get an arrow through our defenses. And then notice, beginning in verse 8, the paradoxes of life. He says, not only was God in it with us and brought us through everything that we found ourselves in, but God was also in in, a, in our lives to help us through all these things that could have easily discouraged us and caused us from continuing to endure. So he says whether it was through glory when people highly esteemed us and honored us or whether it was when we were dishonored and disgraced. And again, we, we all, we've all been there. Sometimes the same people. Jesus is a great example of the fickleness of people around his crucifixion. When the very same people a week earlier were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and were laying down their palm branches to welcome him into Jerusalem, were part of the same crowd a week later that was crying, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And you and I know that because if we've lived any length of time, we know how one week we can be viewed this way and the next week this way. And Paul says, wow, the one in my life who keeps me centered, who keeps me going, who keeps me enduring, who gives me the second wind in spite of all the different opinions that people have of me. And as we said last week, Paul had had been released from the bondage of living his life to please people, but to please God alone, Paul says, God got me through those days where everybody liked me and everybody hated me. Verse 8, through slander, defamation, and through praise, I was regarded by some as an imposter, as a deceiver, and yet, true. Verse 9, I was unknown to some, I was well known to others. As dying, and yet see, we continue to live. As those who are scourged, publicly humiliated, and yet not executed. I love that word, it means rendered extinct. Paul says they did a lot to us, we were beaten within an inch of our life, but they couldn't Render us extinct. God had the last word. As sorrowful, verse 10, some days we were grieving. We were filled with sorrow. But in our soul, in our innermost being, we were always rejoicing because there was a place inside of us just like there's a place inside of us that no matter what the circumstances are on the outside, there is that place where there is that That wholeness, that wellness, that gladness of of knowing God, even if the rest of our life is falling apart. As poor, the word literally means lacking or reduced, but making many rich. And I think he's talking here about spiritually. The apostles didn't have a lot as far as material things goes. Jesus Christ didn't have a lot as far as material things goes. He said, I I don't even have a place most days to lay my head at night to go to sleep. But it wasn't about the material things. They were able to make many rich because they focused on what really mattered. As having nothing, this could also mean nobody or without, and yet, possessing everything. In other words, Paul is saying that I am absolutely secure even though the world may say I have nothing for in my hands I have everything that I need. I have God. He's my all in all. They can take everything else from me. They can strip me. I don't have to have any clothes. I don't have to have a home. I don't have to have anything. But if I have God, I have everything, Paul says. The great paradox of the Christian life. That's why then in verse 11, 12, and 13, Paul goes on to say, now circling back around to the very first point he made at the beginning of the chapter about being a partner, being a fellow worker, pulling our power together, he's asking the Corinthians to open up their heart and make room for him once again. Because another thing in our lives, as he's already said, that's going to give us that endurance and that encouragement is having the right kind of people in our lives. So he says, verse 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Wow, what a picture. He says, Corinthians, we made room in our heart in the very center of our life for you. But notice what he says in verse 12. Our affection for you is not restricted. It is not narrowing, but you are restricted. You are pulling back in your affections for us. Now, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts to us also. Make room. It'll be the best thing. Make room for us. We're the kind of people, Paul said, you you want and you need in your life. We will encourage you. We will always seek your best interest. We will, we will have your back. Don't, don't run to these false teachers who promise you a lot and deliver you nothing. He said, open your hearts to us. You see, what was happening in Corinth was that these false teachers were coming in to cities like Corinth, and in order to draw people to follow them, they were turning the people against those that they really were looking out for them, like Paul and the other apostles. And they were beginning to get to them. And that's why the Corinthians were pulling back. You know, you and I know when people are pulling back from us. We know when we're pulling back from others. We know it. And Paul could sense it. And Paul said, don't do it. You're going to turn your back on one of the greatest resources God wants to give you, which is the relationship that you and I have together. Folks, that's, that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring people into our lives that, that truly love us and care about us and that we love them and we care about them and where we walk through life together. That, that band of few, and it's not going to be a great big throng, None of us are going to walk through life with hundreds of people like that in our life. But if we just have a faithful few, a few people in our lives like that, and we have God, that's all we need. And so Paul says, open up your hearts to us. Because notice beginning in verse 14, in the context why Paul says, look, I know you want to belong. I know you want to be accepted but the people that you are running after and the people that you are partnering with and the people that you are now sharing life with, they're not going to encourage you in any way spiritually because they don't even have a relationship with God. And so how can those who don't have a relationship with God, how can they in any way encourage you to the great endurance you're going to need as a Christian to be able to get through life's difficulties? In fact, isn't it going to be that when life gets tough for them, they're going to come running to you? So why are you leaning upon them? Now, before I read this passage, and it's very familiar to many people, the Bible here is not teaching us that we can't have friends that aren't Christians and that we can't have acquaintances that aren't Christians, but the Bible says it goes to a whole other level whenever we are allowing people who are not Christians, followers of Christ, to somehow have a great influence and impact in our lives. Because instead of giving us strength that we need to endure, they're only going to sap us of that strength. Because the direction of their life is going to be different than the direction of our life. We're responsible to our God. They're responsible to know God, at least yet. So that's why Paul says in verse 14, do not become partners with those who do not believe who are faithless toward God, who do not trust God. For what partnership, what sharing, what do we have in common between righteousness and lawlessness? It simply means, the the word lawless means those who have a contempt for or are living without God's principles to guide them. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And what agreement I love this word. It's the Greek word symphony. Where we get the word symphony or harmony from. What symphony or harmony does Christ have with belire? It It's just a name for Satan. And it means the unprofitable one. Or what does a believer, one who is trusting in God, share in common with one who's not trusting in God? And what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? What does the true God have in common with false gods. Because notice what Paul goes on to say, verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. Literally, the dwelling place of God. That's why we teach people from the Bible that the buildings are not the church. I mean, we've said that for years. I'm going to church. And, And when we say that, we all get it. We all know what we mean. There's a location where we're all meeting. But let's remember that the Bible teaches that the church is not brick and mortar, concrete. The church is you and I. And wherever we go, that's where the church goes. And wherever we go, that's where God goes because God now has made His dwelling place in us. Unlike the Old Testament where God did dwell in temples and buildings, God now in the New Testament, through the blood of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, now lives in you and I. And he says, For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will live in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Whatever you and I face this coming week, or month, or year, remember also verse 16. Not only verse 2, where God says, I'll hear you and I will help you, but where God says, I not only will live in you, I will walk with you, and I will be your God, your all in all. And now because of all of this, notice how Paul ends this great chapter 6. He says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Now I'm going to put a little bit of a different twist on this verse. Because... For many years, many people look at this verse and go, so what this verse is teaching me is I've got to stay away from those bad, wicked people. (laughs) And I don't think that's what it means at all. Again, the Bible clearly teaches in other places that God wants us to build bridges and have relationships to a level with people that don't know God. How are they ever going to know God unless you and I take the light of Jesus Christ to them? And the whole book of 2 Corinthians is about the calling that God has placed on our life to make God known to others. So how can we do that if we stay separated from them? And Jesus in John 17 says, I didn't call them to come out of the world. I call them to be separate from the world, meaning they are not to be of the world, but they are to be in the world. So God doesn't want us to physically separate ourselves from people that need Him. The only way they're going to see Him is for us to be up with them. But here I think is what this means. And this is just as important. He says, come out. The word literally means arise. Rise up. Arise. Come out from their midst. I want you to look at it this way being lost in the crowd. See, here's what I think God is saying. He's given us all these resources already. He's told us He'll be in everything with us. He'll get us through everything in life. And now at the end, He's telling us, don't, don't run after those people and lean hard upon those people who don't even have a relationship with me yet. Trust me to bring people who do know me in a personal way into your life so that that you both can open up your hearts to each other and mutually encourage each other. But don't let anyone, Christian or not Christian, keep you from being the unique individual that I created you to be. Arise. Step out of the crowd. Because one of the reasons that, that human beings that we lose our endurance, that we lose our second wind, is we have such a desire, an insatiable desire to be loved and accepted, that we end up compromising in order to be part of a group, whatever that looks like, and not realizing again that God is our all in all. And that God will bring the right people into my life if I truly trust Him and wait for Him to work. Plus, God created me, a unique individual, and wants me to be me. He he doesn't want me to be like everyone else. He doesn't want me to feel like I'm lost in the crowd. He doesn't want you and I to feel like we're just another number, just another face in a big mass of humanity. He wants us to rise up in His power and come out from the crowd and be who He's created us to be and find out who that is and what that is and be separate. The word literally just simply means marked off from others. See, It's not a matter of physical separation from those who don't know God. It's a matter of marked off separate from everyone. Even my fellow Christians. That God wants me to be the unique individual He's called me to be. And to not try to be what others want me to be. To not live my life fitting into their mold. But to let God alone define my life. And yet, how many of us just in this room tonight could say that there have been many a day, a week, a month, a year that we've spent in our life trying to make other people happy, trying to please people, trying to be what other people want us to be. And God says, that's one of the things that's sapping you of your spiritual energy and strength. Because you and I are unique creations of God. And one of the things that's going to energize us is when we get to the point in our spiritual growth where we can relax with who we are and how God made us and who God made us and let God take us to where He wants to take us and rise up out of the crowd and be who we are. And that's why he goes on to say, and touch no unclean thing Don't fasten yourself, don't adhere to anything unclean from God's perspective in order to belong, in order to be accepted, because all that we need is God. And God has created us a certain way and wants us throughout our life to just discover who He's made us to be. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that even within the body of Christ, where there is unity, God wants us to celebrate diversity. And there's not one of us here tonight, even though we're unified because of our love for Jesus Christ, maybe in our love for His Word, there's not one of us here tonight that is exactly identical to anyone else. In fact, there's no one like us in the world that has that unique set of, of personality and ability and gifts and talents and perspective and experiences. You and you alone have it. And God wants to encourage you tonight to rise up from the midst of the crowd and allow God to take you where He wants to take you and not get lost in the crowd any longer. If you crave love and acceptance, the love and acceptance that you and I are looking for will never be found in in a greater way with human beings than it ever will with God. And the cool thing is once we find that God is our all in all, we will begin to see that God will bring the right people into our lives or we will start to recognize the right people into our lives. And we will stop allowing those unsafe, unhealthy relationships to dominate our lives, those toxic relationships that sap us of our strength, that keep us from the great endurance that God has called us to. People in the Bible can be the greatest fuel for our life. They can also be the greatest hampering of getting through life. And notice God says at the end of verse 17, if you do this, if you seek me alone and trust me to bring the right people into your life and allow me to define your life, and let you discover throughout your life the unique individual I created you to be, I will welcome you. It it simply means I will bless you. That's where the blessing of God is. Not in seeking to live life for what others want us to be, but in truly getting to a point in life where we finally live our lives for what God has created us to be. And then verse 18, I will be a father to you. The word literally means he will take responsibility for his children. I love that. God says, you're mine. I take responsibility for you. I'll look after you. I'll care for you. I'll be your all in all. I'll hear you when you pray. I'll help you when you call upon me. I'll live in you, I'll step in every yuck that you get yourself into, I'll take care of you, I'll take responsibility, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful Lord. The all-powerful Lord just simply means the one who is over all. No one higher than God. No one greater than God. And God says, This is what the one who is over all, this is what I will do for you. I mean, I think we need to let that settle a little bit to really get the impact of it. I mean, as a human being, sometimes we feel really good when we know another human being's looking out for us or watching out for us or caring for us or whatever, but. This raises it to a whole other level. This is the ruler of the universe saying to all of us tonight, there is no one greater than me. There is no one higher than me. There is no one more powerful than me. I as the ruler over all, I'll take care of you. And I think he means that personally to each one of us. If God is telling us that He doesn't want us to get lost in the crowd of life, then that means He doesn't lose us in the crowd of life either. That God has this way that you and I can't even understand where He can cut through the crowd and He can speak right to me. And He can deal right with me. And He can care right... It's as if no one else in the room exists this is just for me that's the way God is that's the way he is with all of us and the great thing about God is because he's so great if he's giving you undivided attention I know it's hard for us as human beings to get our minds wrapped around this because we just don't have anything else to compare it to but when God is giving you undivided attention he can also give millions of others undivided attention too Where you and I sometimes begin to think of God like we do each other. Well, if God's paying attention to them, how could He ever know what I'm really feeling and going through? Let's not forget who our God is. He is the all-powerful Lord. He is the one who is over all. He is the one who has the ability to take us as individuals... And to minister and care for us and take responsibility for us as individuals so that we don't ever feel like we are lost in the crowd of life. And yet in the same way, as God is doing that for us, God wants to encourage us. Now rise up. Arise. Don't get lost in the crowd. Don't don't be part of that group and and start behaving that way just because you think that's the only way they'll accept you. I welcome you. I'll be your father. I'll be your all in all. Trust me. You go after me. You lean after me. You put me above everything else and I'll make sure you feel as accepted and loved and fulfilled and content and satisfied as any human being could ever experience. God says, let me be your all in all. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the reminders of these resources tonight. That even in the midst of what we go through and and what we're involved in, God, you are there. You are there to hear us, to help us, to take responsibility, to get involved. God, thank you. And may we walk through the rest of this week just reminding ourselves of these verses, these principles tonight, of all the things you do for us, Lord, in order that we might live life with great endurance. Someone once said that the measure of an individual can be measured by what it takes. To make them quit. God you never want us to quit. You always want us. No matter whether we've been beat down. Or whether we've fallen down. You always want us. In your power. To be able to get back up. And keep moving forward. With the great endurance. You want to build into our lives. God remind us of that. This, this night. And remind each of these folks. That they are unique. Valuable. Loved. Loved creation by you and that you want to see them live the rest of their life not lost in a crowd but learning to become the unique creation that you created them to be god bless us we pray give us a great week as we walk with you and as we make you known to others And bring us back next Tuesday, Lord, once again, to open up your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week.